Hello, and welcome to episode 71 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories, one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, I have an interview with Milton Lawson. Milton is currently running a Kickstarter for Orson Welles, Warrior of the Worlds. Milton, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Why don't you lead us off with some background about yourself and a little bit about uh, this comic? Hi there. Thanks for having me. I am Milton Lawson. I'm a comic writer based out of Houston, Texas. I've been doing independent comics work for several years now. I have two short comics available online. Um, one is titled Winter Sale, and the other one is titled Roger Ebert and Me. And oh, wow. that second one. The second one, Roger Ebert and me, was a finalist in the Ghost City Comics competition. I'm really proud of that one. And next year, knock on wood, I have a book scheduled to be published that's a three-issue miniseries. It's a sci-fi miniseries. And expecting that to maybe come uh, late, uh, late summer, early fall next year. I uh, can't uh, announce any details on it yet. But uh, excited about that one as well. And of course, my current main focus right now is the Kickstarter you mentioned for Orson Welles' Warrior of the Worlds, a first volume of what's planned to be a two-volume graphic novel series. Very cool. So before we go into to the, the, the comic that's currently in Kickstarter, let's talk a little bit about the, the two shorts. Um, what were the length of those, those two? The first one I did is uh, Winter Sale, and it was an eight-page short mm -hmm. with art by Dave Chisholm, uh, who is a fantastic artist based out of New Jersey. And this short was actually born in the Comics Experience Workshop forums. Um, sometimes they do these writing prompt challenges on there where they'll give a basic premise and get you to write something and submit it for review. Mm -hmm. And that particular month, uh, the topic was extremely broad. It was just, hey, tell a winter-themed story. And so I uh, thought about what winter represents and uh, came up with the concept. It's about an independent record store owner dealing with the sort of changing marketplace of independent music in the era of digital music where a lot of uh, retailer shops were struggling to uh, find their audience and customer base as, as they, you know, were losing interest in the CD format. Um, and so I wrote the script and uh, submitted it for reviews and uh, got some good feedback on it, did some iterations uh, on uh, improving it and then found artist and, Got it published, uh, self-published. You know, uh, put it online. Okay. And so that was the that was your first uh, time seriously sitting down to to write a comic. What were some of the challenges uh, starting down and sort of having to condense the story into to eight pages? Well, uh, the one good thing about it was it was not my first ever attempt at trying to do a comic. Okay. The first ever attempt I tried. Um, I kind of learned lessons the hard way. I I tried to do extremely ambitious sci-fi uh, multi-issue spanning level of concepts, 
and tried to knock out a first issue and cram as many ideas and storylines as I could. And they were just absolutely miserable and terrible. I tried to get my friends to read them and they, they, they couldn't even make it to the end. It was so incomprehensible. And that's when I realized, you know, humility time. I need some instruction. I need some guidance. And that's when I went into the workshop. And then the format of the exercise itself, limit eight pages. Mm-hmm. Winter. That in and of itself focused me in a way that I'd never been focused before. I didn't feel like I, I didn't have that sort of like cherished um, parental, you know, this all originated with me uh, connection to it. This was some outside force giving me an instruction and it felt more workmanlike, like, all right, I'm going to knock something out here. These are my marching orders. I'm going to go for it. And somehow through just those constraints, I discovered, uh, you know, there's just as much uh, potential for originality and storytelling uh, when, when something else prompts you to it, if, if you hit the right, if you hit the right idea. Yeah, I think that that's your story is pretty common that like the, the excitement of, you know, jumping in and creating, we all like want to like tackle that huge that huge story that's sort of been burning in our head, but like, um, and you know, I've encountered this as well as like, uh, you know, you, you get, you get excited by an idea and you want to jump in, but it's good to have that sort of, uh, guideline that like you have to, you know, accomplish this by, by this amount of pages or, or, you know, this amount of space. So, um, I think that's something pretty common for a lot of creators. And there was also just the external deadline, you know, they, the exercise itself had a due date. Okay. And so I, I couldn't just dilly dally and dream all day long and keep expanding and expanding. Um, I had, I had to uh, focus and deal with that deadline and, and, and get it delivered uh, uh, with that external pressure. Very cool. And the second story, the, the, the one about uh, uh, Ebert, uh, how did you come about that one? <clears throat> excuse me, that one also was born originally in the workshop. It was not part of a exercise, a formal exercise in any kind. The, the way that one came about in the workshop, someone had created a thread to come up with ways for people to introduce themselves to the other workshop members. And everyone said, well, if you ever went on a road trip, if you could go on a road trip with anybody famous, living or dead, who would it be? And, uh, you know, what would that be like? And then someone had the idea, hey, let's turn this thread into a prompt for comic stories. Let's have people actually write the comic story of their trip with a famous person. And so I jumped onto this thread and I, I liked the idea of, you know, some sort of road trip with a famous person. And originally, I wanted to take my road trip with Orson Welles because <laughs> uh, I'm a huge Orson Welles fan. But it turned out the guy that was overseeing the project um, had kind of promoted the idea, hey, we could turn this into an anthology. If everybody wants to pitch stories, you know, we could maybe create a, a book out of it. And that person had already chosen Orson Welles for their story. So I'm like, oh, goodness, all right. Well, what am I going to do here? And as a huge film buff, I was still kind of focused on the idea of something related to film. 
and uh, it wasn't uh, too long after the passing of Roger Ebert and he was on my mind and I had recently seen the documentary about his life and so I thought this is a perfect vehicle uh, I could use Ebert as a sort of starting point because he's uh, he's connected with all of cinema mm-hmm. and what resulted in that was not just a road trip with Roger Ebert, but a road trip that was sort of a magical realism sort of road trip through the world of movies. So I'm going to guess that, um, you know, with the, the Orson Welles connection and the, and the Ebert connection, that, that movies are a huge uh, influence on you. So what role do those play in uh, when you were sort of writing your scripts for, for well, comics? The main role they played was th- that was the original way that I learned about creative processes. Mm-hmm. And when I was a kid growing up, I was blown away like everybody in my generation by Star Wars. And the thing that set Star Wars apart from a lot of other movies was on PBS, they had documentaries showing the behind the scenes processes of how industrial light and magic did all those crazy special effects. And that blew my young mind of like, Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. I kind of sort of knew that there was always people behind the world of movies, but this is when I was actually able to experience it and see crafts people and see their attention to detail and how much passion they put into it. And that changed my perspective on storytelling from that point on. And then later in life, I, I've always been a, a comics fan and, and a movie fan as well. Um, but comics is the medium where you can realistically achieve just uh, crazy infinite budget movie ideas mm-hmm. uh, because you're not limited by what uh, the CGI budget is. You're not limited by uh, how many actors you have to pay. You're just limited by your imagination and the, the corners of the page. Very cool. Um, so what were some of the, uh, either the first comics that you read or some of the comics that have the, the biggest influences on you? The first comics I read as a kid were the late seventies, early eighties, Spider-Man stories. And I was really drawn to both the, the mythic, you know, simple morality tale hero story of Spider-Man and the fact that they were grounded, uh, and I, I somehow got a hold of reprints of the original Ditko stuff. They had, they had these little pocket versions of them. So I got those and really connected because I kind of felt like a nerd and an outsider in school. So I, I connected on a story level. But I also had the earliest tingles of uh, the, the creators behind the scenes, much like the documentaries about uh, industrial light magic and George Lucas that I saw when you read a comic by Marvel in the early days, there was that sense of the bullpen and Stan Lee's editorial voice kind of bringing you in a little bit behind the curtain. Mm-hmm. And so that was when the earliest seeds were planted in my head uh, about the fact that, you know, there were creators behind all of this stuff. And then when I got older, 
the the one comic that really transformed my view of comics and their their infinite possibilities was Sandman. I I started reading Sandman when it was uh, on the shelf, and it just completely blew my mind that this same medium that I had associated with the likes of you know Superman, Batman and Robin, Spider Man, all of a sudden can go in this entirely different direction. Uh, with adult themes, serious literary contexts, and uh, I, I sort of was given a rebirth there. So um, why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, how you found the, the art team for this project that you have on Kickstarter? Previously on my other projects, I've had a big challenge in finding artists because I was just starting from scratch. I had no connections in the industry. I was just scouring the internet to find people. And I've had a lot of projects uh, not come to fruition due to those challenges. Sometimes you find somebody that's an amazing artist, but for whatever reason, doesn't quite jive with the material um, or... uh, and it, it, it turns out really well, but then they get hired up because they're so talented. You know, a, a big publisher steals them away from you. So I've had a number of challenges on most of my projects until now, um, but I've been doing this long enough to where I have networked with a number of writers and artists. And instead of just scouring the internet to find people, this time around, I was able to work with people that I've either worked with before or know someone personally that they have worked with. And I know that their strengths would fit this project perfectly. So what is normally a very arduous and difficult process for this one project in particular worked out pretty easily, thankfully. Cool. Um, so it sounds like it's great to have a, a network and a, a support system to, to help you uh, navigate uh, what could have been a, a longer process. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of like cast the artists on this one almost like a movie. I, I knew, you know, hey, these are all these folks that I know. And I'm not asking for an insane amount of work because they're just doing one chapter. Each chapter in the story is done by a different artist so they're not having to commit some to some big long uh, project so i knew that the the scale of the ask wasn't crazy so i looked at this array of folks that i that i knew or knew had worked with friends of mine i said oh wow that person's awesome they would be really good for this kind of chapter so that's sort of how everybody got slotted into the chapters that they presently are in Oh, very cool. So um, uh, give us a little bit of background on, on the story uh, as, as the writer. This is one of the weirdest uh, genesis moments of a project that I can ever think of because every other project I've ever had in my life, I can pinpoint to you where the, the kernels of the idea came together mm-hmm. and how they, the various uh, little particles formed the molecule. But in this one, I cannot remember precisely when it happened. It just sort of came to me almost fully formed. And that's mainly because I'm just a uh, decades long fan of Orson Welles. And then whenever the idea of elaborating on him into some sort of a science fiction context came about, 
I immediately had the grounding and I knew that I could take that premise and deliver it with authority and with depth because I just, I, I'd done so much reading. I've seen all of his films. I've read several of his biographies. I've read everything I could about him. Listened to the Peter Bogdanovich interviews. They're like eight hours of him just talking film theory. Um, so uh, I, I'm steeped in Orson Welles trivia and history. So when the idea of like, hey, to do something sci-fi with him came about, it just sort of came around like fully formed. So knowing so much about the uh, Orson Welles, the the man, like how much are you like, you know, taking that 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 real timeline of of his life and then just sort of like splicing in these little elements of of sci-fi to um, you know, give the story some action, give the story some drama and stuff like that. I'm trying to pretend like my crazy BS premise actually could have happened. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to try, I'm going to try to not depart from his real life in any significant, meaningful way um, and be as true as possible to those details. I'm giving myself like a 5% out just to fudge things a little bit here and there. If they, Mm -hmm. if they're not perfectly convenient to a given moment, but in general, I'm trying to stay true to his career and his biography and then just insert this alternate storyline that you just never knew about the fact that he was actually secretly on the side fighting aliens. Very cool. So this is volume one that you're, you're kickstarting now. Um, how, how, what are the, the, the future plans for, for volume two? How much of that do you have planned out and, and are you working on, um, you know, would if if you go back i mean assuming i'm not assuming but going to to volume two how many of the the same artists have you talked to about uh you know coming in and, and what chapters they might be working on i would say we've got about half of the artists slotted and planned in fact we already have art test artwork for some of those chapters already generated the way that the kickstarter sort of got built was I I wanted to demonstrate the, the breadth of the concept, the idea of different artists illustrating different chapters, mostly inspired by Orson Welles's films. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to get w- at least one page demonstrating several of those. So I got like five or six test pages generated and they ended up being both from volume one and volume two. And I, combined those into like a proof of concept presentation. And I showed them to the fantastic uh, voice actor, Maurice LaMarche. Uh, I met him at a convention here in Houston and I showed him to him and I said, Hey, what would be really amazing would be if you could do the narration for the trailer video for this Kickstarter and him being first of all, an awesome person and generous and second of all, a true Orson Welles fan, he said, absolutely, I'll, I will definitely do that for you. And so that the need to create that proof of concept to approach him allowed me to go ahead and line up some of the artists for volume two. So some of the folks who aren't even mentioned on the Kickstarter page yet include like 
a creator like Walter Ostley, who's probably best known for being the artist on Metal Shark Bro, mm -hmm. Proof of Concept page. Um, Martin Lorbiecki is actually doing some work in both Volume 1 and Volume 2. And the first test page he has done was actually uh, for a chapter inspired by Orson Welles' film noir film, Touch of Evil. Okay. And uh, we've got a test page that we're going to release on the Kickstarter at some point in the next few days. And he's also currently generating his test page for volume one, which is a chapter that's not specifically inspired by a film, but more of an event in Wells's life when he attended the Carnival Festival in Brazil in 1942. And his art style is sort of a, a very watercolor driven art style. So those beautiful colors you get uh, on the dresses and costumes at Carnival in Brazil, I think fit his art style really well. So we'll be doing that as well. Very cool. Is there any other uh, historical character that you have so much interest in uh, as you do with Orson Welles that you would like to do uh, a similar uh, project about? Oh, very interesting question. At, at first, I would have to say not necessarily a person, but a topic. I would love to, from, from real history, I would love to adapt Thucydides' uh, History of the Peloponnesian War Okay. Um, and do like just some classic crazy um, Greek war action and, you know, his, you know, historical, all, all the principles of foreign policy and military strategy that are embedded in that, mm -hmm. that would be amazing and fun to do. Very cool. So, um, I think we like we covered a lot of that uh, this this current issue and talked a little bit about uh, any future plans. Um, so uh, I'm assuming that uh, you, you're planning on going back to Kickstarter with with Volume Two, depending on you know the the timetables that you have for art production and and how the the first Kickstarter goes. Yeah, that that'll be the plan, and whether or not we do Volume Two directly as one big group or split those up into little chapters kind of depends on what the timing and reaction to volume one is. Mm -hmm. We are not promising to release volume one until basically like a year from now. Mm -hmm. um, but I am hoping that we over deliver on that promise by a significant margin of time. We wanted to give ourselves a, a lot of, uh, padding on the back end just in case some unforeseen things happen. Um, but, but we hope to deliver it much sooner than like a whole year. Uh, that's, that's a very good plan as a guy who's uh, run two Kickstarters. Uh, I think it's always sort of the best practice is to uh, set that realistic uh, goal or, you know, goal and then shoot for, um, you know, delivering early or over delivering, but giving yourself a little bit of uh, giving yourself that, that realistic buffer. So I think you have a really good plan there. Yeah. And I'm, I'm fortunate in the structure of this project in the sense that even though there are like somewhere between 85 and 90 pages to be 
drawn, lettered, edited, colored, etc. There's a division of labor happening um, since there's multiple artists on the project. They can all be working simultaneously instead of one after the other. They don't have to wait for the other person to be finished before they can start their chapter. Yeah, that's the, yeah, that is a that is an interesting advantage. Um, most of the books that I've worked on, it's been been one artist. Uh, so it's like the page comes in, you know, take notes uh, and work on the next page. But so it sounds like you might be having multiple pages come in at, at multiple story points. Um, does that create any, any difficulties for you as far as like, I know like you probably live with the story and it's been in your head for a long time, but um, not getting them back in sort of like sequential order from the artist, is, 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 are there any challenges there? There are some challenges. It's hard for me to elaborate on them yet because what I've experienced thus far is obviously orders of magnitude lower than what I anticipate the actual production phase will be like. Mm -hmm. um, but um, for example, um, we did shuffle the art team a little bit in the early phases. Uh, one of the artists uh, that was the first artist to commit to the project uh, was just all in gangbusters, loving the idea and just really passionate about it and uh, started doing some initial proof of concept work. And he just could not crack a good likeness for Orson Welles. Now, when you do a likeness, you know, there's, I think there's a range of outcomes, mm -hmm. you know, you don't necessarily want to get an exact match. You know, if you just get the spirit of someone and you can buy that, that someone is, is the person then, then I think you're good as long as it works with their art style and everything. But in this particular case, the artist, he just, he just, couldn't crack it he and he was frustrated and he was he was trying and trying and trying and i got to commend his effort and he was he was he was putting in so many attempts and then finally he he told me he's like dude i just i'm gonna have to tap out i i can't do this it's just not working and then we shifted gears and i said okay i, I still want to work with you you're a great artist i've got other projects that'll fit your style you know, we, we will part ways on good terms and let's keep in touch. And then I realized, hey, wait a minute. I think part of the problem here was this guy was doing one of the chapters with the young cherubic-like clean-shaven Wells. What about this guy getting a crack at older Wells when he's portly, when he's got a beard, when he's got an iconic fedora on his head? I said, hey, wait, try to do old wells. And he nailed it on the first attempt. And he's like, oh, my God, we should have we done this from the get-go. So those sorts of, like, adjustments, I think there's probably going to be some of those kinds of things when we get into the production phase, but I, I can't predict them at the moment. Okay, so you actually uh, answered one of the questions I had. I was going to ask, like, what, like, the the range of of time like how many uh you know variations of, of orson wells do we see here um so like were you were you grabbing reference um from from books i'm assuming most of the most of the the, the you know there's a google image search you you can pull pull reference uh from various time frames of his life 
yeah, thankfully, uh, he's he's one of the most photographed figures in uh, you know performing history. So there's ample stuff to pull from in all, in all of his uh, various guises and incarnations. Very cool. Um, so, what would be your what would you be your favorite sort of uh, appearance or, or or look that he has? I know you mentioned the sort of the older with the beard and the hat. Is do you do you have a favorite uh, look of 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 his? There's, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a dead heat tie. Um, the, the, the image that we've been using primarily as the, as the young Wells design is, is him in his citizen Kane mm-hmm. uh, outfit. And we're basically just taking that iconic image and just assuming that that's, that was his everyday outfit all the time. Uh, you know, sort of like, you know, superhero physics, you know, he's just going to wear that costume all the time. Um, and then uh, the older Wells has a lot of gravitas to him. He's got a lot of wisdom to him. And when he, when he appears on the comic page, I think you get you get that feeling of his voice. That's the one thing that's kind of lacking in in the comics medium as far as this particular story subject. He is known for his authoritative and resonant voice. Um, and I've tried to do, do homage to it in the like flowery and detailed language that he spoke with, mm-hmm. uh, just in casual conversation. Uh, but you can't really capture that experience on the page, but when you see the older version of him, I kind of think that, that you can almost feel the the voice getting deeper and, and being more resonant. So, um, I guess maybe a slight preference for that version in terms of like the mechanics of how he works on the page, but um, the more fun stuff in the story happens with the young wells. So it's hard to choose. Very cool. And so um, in not giving away any plot points, but are there any other uh, famous people or celebrities from, from these timeframes that make any, any appearances in these books or are these chapters? Yes, and there there is even there is even one in the first five pages that is previewed uh, on the Kickstarter page itself, and that's uh, the legendary director Peter Bogdanovich. Mm-hmm. Um, he is uh, not a central figure in the story, but he is a cameo in the early going. Um, there may be one or two other significant ones directly from his filmmaking career. Um, But there are a handful of people that I'm going to put in there more in an illusion sort of way, not a direct sort of way. I'm not going to name them by name, Mm -hmm. uh, but they might be composite characters. Uh, Like the villain of the piece is somewhat a composite character. Um, And, um, there's a, obviously since it's a science fiction story, there are a lot of totally uh, fictional characters thrown in. So I, I think it's a, it's a wide spectrum. You get you get cameos, you get big names, you get composite characters, you kind of get it all. Very cool. So I think uh, I think that's going to do it for the the interview and uh, the discussion of this project. Uh, but could you let people know um, where they can find you online so that they can keep uh, keep track of this project and uh, more projects from you to come? 
Sure, sure. And first of all, I want to say thank you so much for inviting me on here and your support for the project. Um, it, it absolutely means a lot, and we really appreciate it. And uh, folks can find me online. The easiest place and the most active place is on Twitter. I'm on Twitter under the handle at Citizen Milton. Um, also on Instagram under Citizen Milton. And on there, I, I do a lot of cool like moving picture pieces of like famous directors like Wells or Martin Scorsese or Stanley Kubrick and just do like nifty, like filter effects on them. Um, and I also have a website, miltonlawson.com. Okay. So I'm going to guess that your, your social media handle is a, as a play on the, the famous uh, movie by uh, uh, Orson Welles. Absolutely. Very cool. And uh, all right, so I'm just gonna I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw a uh, curveball at you here at the end. You you mentioned Kubrick. Uh, did he did he did he fake the moon landing? <laughs> no, I'm 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 based in Houston, so I got to go with my NASA boys. They they delivered the real thing. The 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 moon landing was not a hoax. Kubrick did not film it. I agree with you there. Okay, cool. So uh, I want to I want to thank you uh, for being on, and we are going to put links to your social media and links to this uh, to this Kickstarter. Um, at the time of this recording, uh, you have uh, you have twenty five days to go, um, but I want everybody to to jump on this as as early as possible. Um, if anybody wants to give us a follow on the podcast, we are on Twitter at Construct Compod. We are on Instagram at Constructing Comics Pod. We are on Facebook at Facebook forward slash Constructing Comics. We have a YouTube channel where we do some of our more uh, visually uh, heavy episodes, creator spotlights, page by page reviews, uh, page breakdowns, um, and it's under the same name of Constructing Comics. Links to our social media, links to to Milton's social media, and his Kickstarter uh, will be in the in the show notes. So I'd like to to thank uh, Milton for being on. And uh, thank everybody for listening and we'll be back with a another episode very soon.